Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Pastor Wolfmuller here. This is What Not the Podcast. Taking up a question today on Friday, April 21st, about redemptive suffering and our own suffering and how do we think about suffering. So it's great. A great question. Then a one little reflection on marriage. We got a wedding tonight. Woo-hoo. So a little reflection on marriage. Hope you enjoy the show. G, who says, don't use my name, but is asking this really beautiful question. Hi, Pastor. I'm presently going through stage three cancer and chemo. I was wondering if you could delve into the discussion, the Catholic Church's position on redemptive suffering and the Missouri Synod position on suffering and the role it plays in our salvation. Uh, my oldest son is a new graduate from the seminary. God be praised. So, uh, first of all, gee, God's peace be with you as you battle against cancer. It is an ugly disease, and the treatment is ugly and painful. Uh, we have some of this going on in our own family as well. Uh, so I pray that the Lord would bless you with his patience, uh, with his kindness, um, with his love, uh, with hope in the midst of this despair. Uh, regarding the Catholic idea of redemptive suffering, here's from Catholic.org, which is the Catholic Answer Guys. Uh, they're, they're asking this question, is reparation the same as redemptive suffering? The answer, the glossary of the Catechism of the Catholic Church defines reparation as the act of making amends for a wrong done for an offense, especially for sin, which is an offense against God. The penance that the priest gives in confession is an example of this sort of act, reparation. Redemptive suffering refers to our sufferings we offer up to Jesus for the salvation of souls, whether our own or others. Such an offering can be specifically directed to making amends for our own sins or for those of others, but it doesn't have to be. One could offer one's suffering for other reasons. So redemptive suffering is, well, to to understand it, you got to get into the mindset of the Catholic theologians. And to do that, you have to start thinking really like a banker and understand that, mm, that there's, a, there's a, a spiritual economy and that there's merit, the, uh, credit, and there's loss of merit or deductions. If, if you could think of it like this, each person has their own little individual bank account and you're born in debt. And if you die in debt, you go to hell. But what happens when you're baptized is your debt is forgiven. You're brought, you have a zero balance or maybe even a little deposit. And then every time you sin, it's like making a little withdrawal from that account. So you got to go and confess your sins and, and, uh, uh, and do penance. And then you, you work back up to where you were before it. Every time you do a good work, you add some merit to your own account. Uh, if your bank account gets full, and I, I don't know what that is, I guess it's perfection, but if you have a full account, then a couple of things happen. One is when you die, you go to heaven. And also your works that you do, the extra merit that you accomplish, you don't even need. So that can be applied to other people. In fact, you can apply your merit to other people even if you don't have a full account. The works of, this is the theological term that the Lutherans would kind of kick against, the, the works of supererogation. So I, I, don't even, I don't even need the merit of this work, so you can have it. And that's what the monks were trying to achieve by their holy lives. Now, if you die and you're not in debt, but you also don't have a full account, then you go to purgatory to end up filling up your bank account. 
And you accomplish that through suffering. So the Catholic Church understands, and this is a distortion of the biblical doctrine of the suffering of Jesus, is that suffering in and of itself is meritorious. And that the Christian, because they're baptized, can now uh, receive merit from suffering. And in other words, their suffering can be part of their own redemption. Or because merit is also able to be applied to other people's accounts, you can apply your merit to someone else. Maybe someone in purgatory, maybe someone that you're thinking of, maybe praying for a miracle for someone else, and you're trying to apply your own suffering uh, for that person's redemption. All of this serves to, first of all, obscure the sufferings of Jesus. When Jesus suffered, he suffered in our place, on our account, so that his suffering is the salvation of the world. This is the basic argument that was made by the Lutherans in the Reformation, and it's a helpful argument. It goes like this. Jesus is the Savior, and that means Jesus alone is the Savior, which means I'm also not the Savior, and my participation in salvation is to be the recipient of it, not to add to it or cooperate with it. So any attempt to add our own works, our own merit, even through suffering, uh, serves the purpose of obscuring the glory of Christ and taking comfort away from sinners who need it. So we reject this idea of redemptive suffering insofar as it's speaking of anybody but Jesus. It is only the suffering and death of Jesus that redeems us from the curse of the law and sets us free. The God-man in our flesh, bearing our sins as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is our doctrine which is full of comfort, full of peace. So what then do we do of our own suffering? How do we think of, of that? There was, in the history of the world, probably two major approaches, practical, philosophical approaches to suffering. There was the Epicurean idea that said that suffering is bad and should be avoided. There is the Stoic idea that said that suffering is good and helps with virtue. And against both of these came the Christian idea that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus will send sometimes uh, a lot of suffering and sometimes a lot of joy. And most of the time, a mixture of the two. And so when we have good days, we give thanks to God. When we have bad days, we give thanks to God. We're thankful in all circumstances. This is why the, the Bible can tell us that we rejoice in our sufferings. Paul says it, probably the best verse in Romans 5, where Paul says that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured his Spirit into our hearts. James 1 opens with a call to joy and suffering. Peter, in his epistle, and I would commend this, G, I would commend this to you uh, to read 1 Peter, which is, which is really a, a handbook on how to suffer. And um, Peter has six counsels to the sufferer in that epistle. And in four of the six, his, his basic thought is, Christ also suffered. So that, so that when we suffer, we know that it is not apart from Christ, but rather it is, it is with Christ, and Christ is with us. 
so that Jesus first suffered for us and then now he suffers with us. He doesn't abandon us. Suffering is not an indication that God has turned his, his face away from us, but rather for us, the Christian, it's an indication that God does look upon us. Jesus talks about at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the, I mean the Beatitudes, which are there at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus talks about uh, counting it all joy when you're persecuted for all these different things. So the Christian is called to this joy and suffering, knowing that it comes from the hand of God who loves us. It comes to us for our benefit, to strengthen our faith and our hope, to provide opportunity for love, that it helps to purify the conscience. Peter makes that point. And that it will only be for a little while. And so the suffering that we endure in this life, Paul says, it's not even worthy to be compared to the glory of the life to come. And so the little while of our suffering reminds us of the, of the eternal joys of the bliss that the Lord has for all those who love him. So in the midst of our afflictions, we, we lift our eyes towards heaven, knowing that the Lord will one day be here to redeem us from it. So I hope, I hope that's helpful. Um, it might be also one more other helpful point on suffering is that the devil uses suffering to attack our hope. And one of the things to be careful of when we're in the midst of suffering is to fall into the trap that it'll always be this way, that th there is no hope, and that's the, the loss of hope we call despair. But we want to remember that the Lord uses our suffering not to weaken our hope, but to strengthen it. Back to that Romans 5 text. Uh, faith, uh, hope, Suffering produces patience, and patience produces uh, character and character produces hope. So the Lord is there in the midst of our suffering, cultivating in our own hearts hope in his deliverance, in his promise to return for us, in the, in the hope of the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. So I hope that's helpful again uh, for you, G, and may the Lord bless and keep you uh, as you're going through your treatments. Um, look on you with kindness and mercy. May you remember, all of us, may we remember that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Thinking about the sermon tonight from Mark and Shannon, reading Genesis 2 where the Lord invents marriage, and it occurred to me that these words, Genesis 2.23, are the first recorded human speech. The first time any words of man were written down, and it also is the first time that, that any person spoke to another person. So this is the first human conversation. Adam, before this, would have been naming the animals, I suppose reporting their names to, to God, and maybe the animals had a way of knowing what their names were, but this is the first time one human being speaks to another. It's when the Lord takes the rib from Adam, and he fashions that rib into a woman, and he brought her to the man, and Adam said, here it is, the first words. I mean, you know how excited you are when a baby says its first word. This is the first word. These are the first words of humanity. This now is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now that is pretty cool. And the Lord comments, 
through Moses. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Do you think that you think that Adam and Eve would have said, wait, what's a father? <laughs> they didn't they didn't have any. I mean, there's you know, the chicken and the egg thing. We know that the chicken was created first. Adam was and Eve were made first before there was babies, there was grown ups. And but they so they didn't have father and mother, and the Lord says, You're gonna be married, that means father and mother. That's one of the great reasons why we call marriage the right of holy matrimony, the right of holy mothering. Because to be a father, to be a, 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 a bridegroom is to be a father, to be a bride is to be a mom. I mean, even if the Lord doesn't provide it, that's how we think of it. So, so God be praised. So here, these the thinking and want, marveling about this, this first human speech, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then, and and not only does Adam give the name woman to all women, but then Adam later is going to go on to give the specific name to his wife, which is really quite wonderful because it's after the fall. It's after she took the fruit. It's after she brought about this temptation and Adam ate, which led to the destruction of the cosmos, this interjection of sin and death into everything. And Adam looks at her. I mean, if it was me, I'd say, hey, your name is death or your name is trouble. Your name is temptation. But Adam is a Christian and he looks and he says, your name is Eve. Life. <laughs> Life. From Eve comes all the children of the world. And from Eve comes Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. God be praised. Thanks for being part of Whatnot the Podcast. You can subscribe to Wednesday Whatnot, and maybe one day I'll send one out. A couple weeks behind on that, but who's counting? Who's counting? That's at wolfmuller.co slash Wednesday. That's my free weekly-ish newsletter. And you can uh, sign up to support the cause at wolfmuller.co slash support. Appreciate that. A lot of pretty exciting stuff. Always on the way, including a new series of out-of-print Bible commentaries. Hoping to get those going. Three of four volumes printed. Wordsworth's uh, New Testament Greek commentary. So those are coming along. That's pretty exciting. So that's great. All that stuff shows up at wolfmuller.co. You can find it all there. Thanks for being part of the uh, part of the fun of the podcast. You can share. Oh, if this is helpful, it's always great to share it with friends. Hey, this I found this helpful. You might find it helpful too. That's the way the conversation grows. So thanks for being part of it. And if you have your own questions, wolfmuther.co slash contact, you can do it there. Or if you're listening to this on Spotify, there's a way for you to send an audio question, which is cool. And if you do that, then I'll have to go figure out how to add that to the show and you can hear your own voice. Me and you and the three other listeners, famous. So you can do that as well. Hope that's helpful for you. Thanks again for your time, for your attention. God's peace be with you. Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. Hallelujah.